0: Hey, y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, the host of NTR's Embedded, Kelly McEvers, and Washington Post reporter,
1: Wesley Lowry. All right, let's start the show.
2: Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. I am broadcasting from Culver City, California. Uh, Each week, there's a different song to start the show. I'll talk about this one in a bit. But first, I want to welcome again my distinguished guest today. Right here in studio, bopping to James Brown with Mm -hmm. me, is Kelly McEvers. Hey, Hey, Kelly. Hey. Host of NPR's Embedded, an investigative journalism podcast that I enjoy. Also uh, in DC, Wesley Lowry, national correspondent for Washington Post. Thanks for being here, man. Of course. Yeah, uh, your bio officially says that your beat is law enforcement, justice, and their intersection with politics and policy.
1: So, very uplifting things to talk about. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm glad you both are here, and I'm really glad this week that we're playing this song by a guy you may have heard of, named James Brown. So this song is called, I Can't Stand Myself When You Touch Me. This week, this song is really important to me. Uh, As we know, this week marked the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And after his assassination, there were riots and protests across the country in major cities all throughout America. But... Boston stayed relatively calm in large part because of James Brown. Really? So James Brown had previously scheduled a concert in Boston for the night after Dr. King was killed. And the fear was that there were gonna be riots all over. So the mayor of Boston at the time asked Brown to also televise the show. He's doing the concert, performing this song, I Can't Stand Myself When You Touch Me. And all of a sudden, some young dude try to rush the stage.
0: Wait
2: a minute. Move up, I'll be alright. I'll be fine. Police officers are there. They think it's gonna be a riot. And James Brown is like, stop, stop, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They alright, that's all right. It's all right, it's all right. He eventually says, we are black, we are black. Don't make us all look bad. Can't y'all go back down and say, let's do the show together? We're black. Don't make us all look bad. Let me finish doing this show. the show. Come on stage. And then as he's talking these guys down, he's talking the police down too, because they're ready to move in. Now I asked the police to step back because I figured I could get some respect for my own people. He says, are we together? And are we together, Wayne? And then he picks the song back up. The party goes on, and he is credited with keeping Boston from burning. So people have written about this at length, um, but Renee Brown in the Boston Globe this week said that that moment marked a shift for James Brown. Before that, he was not political. She said he was more Bruno Mars than Kendrick Lamar. Wow. And this was the beginning of a change for him, and then you end up with James Brown a bit later writing songs like I'm Black and I'm Proud.
3: Yeah. Wow. James. What does that make you feel? I I don't know. I just, like, when I I hear you tell that story, like, I want to ask you, like, what would you feel like if you had been there and he was like... Saying, this isn't who we are, you know, be this way. I mean, I don't know.
2: I think it is just this reminder like, none of this stuff exists in a vacuum. Activism is not divorced from music and popular culture, is mm. not divorced from, you know, local politics and the mayor. Like, yeah, what
3: that about matters. you, Wesley? I don't know. What do you think about that
1: story? Sir, no, I, I definitely – so I'd heard that story before because I, when I used to work at the Boston Globe um, covering local politics, one of the first books they have you read is Common Ground by J. Anthony Lucas, yes. and uh, it starts yeah. with this – part of this scene and actually a young Barney Frank who goes on to be the congressman huh. is one of the leading aides to the mayor at the time and really? so it, so the scene opens with like a 20-something Barney Frank like trying to find James Brown and make sure he's still going to have this concert the next day because uh-huh. they're worried that the streets are going to burn. Um, you know, similar to what what Sam said, like, you know, I, I do think that it's fascinating basically how local governments in these moments of tension and specifically that moment of tension after King was killed did basically anything they could try to do um, whether it be getting, you know, a, a concert and making sure it still happens or walking the streets themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it it speaks to, like, like you guys are saying, when we have a moment of crisis, how that crisis does touch everyone.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's also a really good song.
3: Wow. Yeah, exactly. Great
1: song.
2: All right, let's get into it. We are each going to describe how the week of news felt in only three words. Wesley, you're going to go first.
1: All right, I'll go first. So... For me, my words were been here before. Uh-huh. And the reason it felt Evergreen that
2: Evergreen tweet. <laughs> right, exactly, right?
1: <laughs> was, I felt like a lot of these headlines were headlines that if you swapped a few, it was like a Mad Libs almost, right? If you swapped a hmm. few things out, we'd been there before, right? So first of all, you have this cabinet secretary and the whole week is, will he be fired? Will he not be fired? Does Trump love him? Does Trump hate him? What's going to happen? Oh, wait, here's a bunch of new reporting about how perhaps maybe he's a little corrupt. And so the Scott Pruitt, Uh, Storyline seemed like something that we had gone through perhaps before. Scott Fruitt, who who is the current head of the EPA. Exactly. Uh, Beyond that, there was this shooting at YouTube headquarters. Early in the week, and it was something that captured all of our attention for a day, mm-hmm. and then we kind of moved on. Um, and that certainly is a story that very often happens with mass shootings or public shootings, um, where once we realize that okay, not a billion people are dead, or it's not a terrorist uh, the way we might, you know, word a terrorist, we move on. And so I would felt like we'd gone through that story before. And as you were alluding to earlier. Um, So much of this week was kind of commemorating the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Um, And we had a lot of kind of uh, looking back at both the unrest in so many American cities after that, the politics of that moment, the civil rights movement. And now as this week kind of comes to a close, we're seeing protest in New York after a police shooting of an unarmed black man. And so the news of this week has kind of been like a song stuck on repeat, right? That it's the same thing over and over and over again.
2: Hmm. I also wonder, like, would Dr. King be at that protest in New York? What would he be saying on cable news today? Like, I just wonder.
1: Of course. It's really interesting to think about. I mean, it's hard to imagine he wouldn't be, but in the same way, like I said, it's it's so interesting because so many of the things we grapple with now are st- so similar to the types of things they were talking oh, yeah. about then.
3: Oh, Yeah.
2: Kelly, do you have three words?
3: I have three words. Okay. Um, And it's kind of, I think, goes along the same theme as Wesley in a way because we have been here before with this feeling, which is everybody slow down. (laughs) Um, I just feel like... (laughs) And I don't want to laugh because the news, the things that are happening in the news are serious and important. But when they happen and the way we receive the information Mm -hmm. about them makes everyone freak out. And when you're freaking out, like you're not dealing in the world of facts. And I feel like there's a couple of stories that really stuck with me. I was also struck by the YouTube shooting. Um, And mostly just the way people immediately started talking about it. Of course, on social media, this woman who um, police now say was the person who came in and and did the shooting – you know, she had all these videos on YouTube, but she was also of Persian descent. and So, so then they were like, oh, what, did, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were certain, you know, websites that she had that had um, the Farsi language, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, written in Arabic script. So, like, all of a sudden you have people just going completely crazy saying, she's a terrorist and they're scrubbing her account. And the reason they're scrubbing her account is because they don't want us to know that she's a terrorist. And, you know, But just... then,
2: come to find out, she was kind of mad because the pay structure for her videos right. changed.
3: Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't this bigger was, thing. Yeah, exactly. But I think the other story was President Trump's decree to deploy the National Guard at the border. People got really freaked out right away and about he was an- this story. Yeah. And he and- was
2: announcing this because there's belief that there is an uptick in caravans of people coming to the southern border from central america well, right now Well there is
3: a caravan of people coming from central america one big caravan Yeah and it's you know led by activists people they're mostly women and children they are people who are fleeing violence in El Salvador and Honduras where gangs rule certain neighborhoods completely and people are You know, terrorized by them. But what I think people just got really upset, they're like, oh my God, he's militarizing, it's going, what's going to happen?
2: Also because we forget Obama sent National Guard to the border, George W. Bush did. This is not a new thing thing. Obst-
3: ostensibly for, you know, drug enforcement, right? That yeah. was the <laughs> reason for George W. Bush and Obama's decisions. Yeah. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying, slow down. slow down, Get some facts. Like, there's, <laughs> we have laws in this country <laughs> yes. that said after the Civil War, you can't just deploy the National Guard at your whim to do whatever you yeah. want. At the border, they're going to be charged with doing very specific things that do not involve search, seizure, or arrest. Now, yeah, it's g- our job as citizens to keep them to that. Um, and, and you know to talk about it and to hold them accountable but it's just like yeah. slow know down. what the law is slow down
2: yeah you guys I have three words okay they are and it, it must be delivered with sarcasm irony and vocal fry yeah but no <laughs> there are two stories this week that I was following where you see the initial coverage of it you see the initial social media response to it and everyone's like oh it's this thing and I'm like But no. Uh, First was Spotify's public offering. Spotify, the biggest music streaming company on the planet, went public this week. But it wasn't quite public. Um, It wasn't your regular IPO. It was what's called a direct listing. So that means that rather than selling shares to institutional investors in advance of this first day of trading, as is normally done for IPOs, Spotify is not selling new shares. They instead allowed existing shareholders to directly offer their stuff to the market. They also weren't priced by experts before they went out there. They kind of bypassed a lot of the Wall Street infrastructure to get public. And the big message from that for me and for others was basically big tech is increasingly showing that it doesn't really need Wall Street itself to succeed, right? My second yeah but no story is the ongoing hullabaloo about a trade war. Oh, yeah. It's just... Fever, 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 fever pitch. So now we do know that Donald Trump has already instituted some tariffs on aluminum and steel. That happened a few weeks ago. Uh, China instituted some other tariffs uh, after that, but they've both been relatively small. This week, we saw the U.S. come out and say, well, we're going to tax these dozens of things that China makes. And then China came back and said, we're going to put tariffs on these dozens of things the U.S. does. And all week we heard... That means it's a trade war and the stock markets are going crazy and it was getting really funky. But neither side has actually put those tariffs into effect yet. Mm -hmm. Neither side has said when they would do it. You know, like... It's not a trade war until it's a trade war.
1: Yeah. No, I I think so, too. I mean, I do think the thing about this president is that, you know, and, and this and I think this goes back to what we we're talking about with the border and the National Guard as well. Right. Like there are laws and there's reality and then there's President Donald Trump. And so, yeah. like, I, I like the idea that the National Guard can't do immigration enforcement. But, like. I don't really know what they're going to do down there. Right. I don't really know what Trump's going to tell them to do, and yeah. so and so I kind of see that with the trade war, with with kind of this rhetoric around what's happening with trade as well. You know, like my logical, rational side of me wants to be like, all right, let's slow this down. Let's see, we'll see what, what's going to happen. And the other part of me is like, this could really go off the rails really quickly. Yeah.
2: Right now, to me, it still feels like China's president and Donald Trump are like. Two high school seniors in the parking lot <laughs> in park revving the car,
3: <laughs>
2: but no one's started driving yet. My car's louder than yours. Exactly. Car.
3: Yeah, but I don't know. See, that's the thing. Is like when you're the guy in the high school parking lot, you know that other guy. Like you know what street he grew up on. You yeah. know, like what you know who his you know his car is. stalls out there miles in. I just don't in. know if we re- if, if if President Trump knows who he's dealing with, and and I don't know if you want to provoke um, China in this way got to go to a quick break. Coming up, we're going to talk about
2: the latest on when police officers can use their guns in the field. And we'll play my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam
4: Sanders, and we'll be right back. We'd like to thank our sponsor who brings you this message, Discover Card, who alerts you if they find your social security number on any one of thousands of risky websites. Discover believes there are some things that you just need to know. It's just another way Discover looks out for you, not just your account. And best of all, social security alerts are free for Discover Card members. All you have to do is sign up online. Learn more at discover.com slash free alerts. Limitations apply.
3: I'm Linda Holmes.
2: There's more stuff to watch these days than you can ever get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we give you the lowdown on what's worth your time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was... I'm here with two guests. Say hi, guys.
1: Hi. What's going on?
2: Kelly McEvers, host of NPR's Embedded, Wesley Lowry, national correspondent covering law enforcement, justice, and their intersection with politics and policy for The Washington Post. You guys, I have a quick question for you both before we hop back into the news. Uh, There was a really quirky Washington Post story our colleague Anjali found this week all about— Edible glitter? <laughs> no. Okay. I'm already saying
3: no. You don't have to ask me the question.
2: Let me tell you what they put it glitter on and in. Glitter on pizza. Glitter in coffee. No. Glitter in prosecco. Glitter mm-hmm. gravy. Glitter no. bagels. So my question to you all is: What food would you most <laughs> want to
1: glitterify? The only thing that you just said listed there that glitter would be okay, maybe in or around, would be uh-huh. the prosecco. Because right, it's, like, it's already kind of like, it, it's Decadent. bubbly to begin with, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want glitter on a bagel. That sounds disgusting. Right? I hate
3: <laughs> to be, you know, a really serious curmudgeon. I have a kid. There's like glitter on everything. Do you know how <laughs> insidious that stuff is? It's like glitter birthday party and glitter princess and glitter coloring book. And no.
2: I want, I want <laughs> glitter on like a porterhouse steak just to screw <laughs> with gender norms.
3: <laughs> uh, yes, please. <laughs> right?
2: Anyway, now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance, where we call someone out in the country or the world and talk to them about what's happening in their neck of the woods. Wanted to keep the call light and fun this week, so we wanted to go back to a listener we heard from last week. He sent us a voice memo last week for our Best Things segment. Here's what
0: he sent. It's Joe from Greenfield, Mass., but right now I'm in Brooklyn, New York, because after many months of not getting any work as a makeup artist or makeup designer... I found out about a month ago that I would be designing Jesus Christ Superstar Live on NBC.
2: Yeah, so he did. We wanted to talk to him a few days after and be like, how does it feel? I mean, the show was a success. It was broadcast live on NBC Easter Sunday in front of a live audience. Great ratings, amazing reviews. So we called up Joe to be like, hey, how's it feeling? Also, what's John Legend like in a makeup chair? (laughs) Hey,
0: Joe. Hey, Sam. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good.
2: Good, good, good. So we're calling you because you um, called into us last week right before you were about to do the makeup for this amazing live NBC production of the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. How are you feeling about that (laughs) one week out?
0: (laughs) I amazing i'm still sort of riding on a high this is the first time i've designed for television Uh, i've been designing for broadway for 15 years but this is the first time for television and and just the entire experience was incredible from like the production itself to the performers that we worked with to my incredible team of 15 artists who made my life so much easier 15 Uh, that's a lot yeah well the cast was i think 46 altogether, and then uh, there were six musicians also that we had to do makeup on.
2: Oh, so Sarah Bareilles played Mary Magdalene. She did. John Legend played Jesus Christ. Which of those two is better in the makeup chair?
0: (laughs) Actually, everybody was amazing in the makeup chair. You're so diplomatic. Uh, well, yeah, I have to be. But uh, <laughs> um, even if I didn't have to be diplomatic, I have to say, like, all of our performers were wonderful. And, you know, some of them came from theaters, some of them come like they're hip hop dancers or they, you know, come from different worlds. But, but everybody was there to put on the best production. And when you have that, like, it just makes it.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So everything that I've read about the show and friends that I've talked to that have watched the show, I'm still working my way through it. I don't have a TV right now. Long story. Um, But (laughs) the response has been great. What do you think made this live TV musical work where others have not? Was it the live audience? Um, Was it something else or what?
0: I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, I think NBC gave us the freedom to make something and didn't second guess us.
2: Mm. And I
0: think their thought of making it into like a live rock show and have so it cool. with the audience underneath like you know having you know john legend be able to like just go and touch like, the hands of the people and, yeah it was which is something to that like, yeah and 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 it's something that if you think about that and the story of jesus like that's what would have happened because mm. he was a celebrity of the time and you don't see it um during the commercial breaks but like the actors, the performers, especially in the ensemble, would, you know, hype up the audience. Really? They would interact with them. Yeah, they would interact with them and hype them up. So they were breaking down that fourth wall, and I think that allowed the home audience to feel like they were part of it.
2: Oh, yeah. So I'm guessing that makeup for TV is different than makeup for, like, a Broadway stage musical. This show was a little bit of both. How did you manage that? Like, did you have to meld two styles?
0: Uh, actually, no. I always always tell my students, I'm like, I don't design Broadway for, like, the back of the house. I design for the first 20 rows. After that, no one's going to see anything anyway. They're just going to see these blocks (laughs) on stage, and I'm not going to make someone look crazy for the people up front just so that the person in the back can see eyeliner. Um, (laughs) So there are some things that you have to adjust and things that you have to do differently from stage. But for this, because I know that... They we're gonna be doing a lot of close-ups I watched the you know sort of the rehearsals and, and saw the camera shots yeah. so I'm not designing for the audience necessarily that is there watching it but I'm designing for the audience at home
2: yeah so what is life like work life what's that like for a makeup artist to Broadway and shows like that I mean are you always working it would be easier to mm-hmm. think that you just <laughs> doing the show
0: you're set yeah no, sadly, that's not how it works, especially in Broadway, because there aren't a lot of shows that will need a makeup designer. And a, and a lot of productions won't feel like it's an important part of it. It's a struggle that as makeup artists and makeup designers that we go through all the time, um, makeup is usually the lowest rung of the ladder, unless you do special effects. Hmm. Um, it, it tends to be what people think about last.
2: Which is crazy um, because um, like, you see makeup the whole
0: show. Exactly, but if you're good at what you do... People don't see it, mm. um, and you know there are times when there's no work at all. Really, uh, um, so, there was a point where I had zero money in in my checking and my savings, which has never happened oh no. in my
2: life. Yeah,
0: um, especially now at forty six, like to have no money at all.
2: So, has this and show helped nice. in that regard?
0: Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it goes through these periods that you know it's still a struggle. Like it. it That never ends.
2: Yeah. That is the thing I always realize in all of my conversations with creatives. It's always a hustle. It's always a struggle. It's always gig to gig to gig, job to job to job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you could be like on top of the world, like I'm on top of the world right now. And then I could, in a couple months, I might not have any work, you know, Mm. and then have to really push and and find something.
2: yeah. Hey, well, I thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for being part of a great show. Um, I really appreciate you being honest and open about how not all days are good days, but you fight for the good
0: days. Yeah.
2: I appreciate that.
0: You're welcome. And uh, thank you for your show because I love it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Bye.
2: It
3: is a crazy show. Did you see when John Legend (laughs) walks out and everyone's like, Ah, Jesus! <laughs> I just watched it unfold on Twitter, which was kind of more fun than watching the actual thing. I have to say, just like Wes, did watching you watch it. Oh, I it. definitely
1: watched it when watching yeah. Chrissy Teigen live tweet John Legend in yes. Jesus yes. Christ. It, it was it was, it was amazing. amazing. It was beautiful.
2: Get you someone that loves you like Chrissy Teigen loves mm-hmm. John Legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, special thanks to Joe Delude for talking with us. All right, listeners, we want to talk to you for this segment. If you want us to call you for long distance, just drop me a note. Tell me what's going on. Hit me up, Sam Sanders at. Any NPR.org, Sanders at npr.org. Jesus
3: Christ, Jesus Christ, oh, are you,
2: want, have you sacrificed? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm here with two great guests today, Wesley Lowry, national correspondent for The Washington Post, and Kelly McGevers, host of NPR's investigative journalism podcast, Embedded. You guys, it's time for our main story. Um, I brought you both here because you have covered extensively an issue that I want to talk about this week. Um, I'm talking about police shootings of unarmed people. Uh, there's still unrest in Sacramento over the shooting of Stefan Clark by police the details are well known now Clark was shot in the back several times in his grandparents backyard after police responded to some reports of someone breaking car windows officers say he was coming toward them holding a weapon but he was shot in the back uh, he was also unarmed that was one shooting story this week there's another as well in Brooklyn Said Vassal uh, he was shot by police fatally After he was found roaming the streets, pointing a metal pipe with a knob on the end of it, kind of looked like a gun. Um, NPR and other outlets have reported that he had mental health issues and that was well known in the neighborhood. But uh, the police saw him and fatally shot him. And so I want to talk this week with both of you uh, about where things stand when it comes to any change, right? Uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to officers uh, shooting civilians.
3: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that when you see this week, you're like, wait a second, what? Why Why is this still happening? And I think that's a question that you had and and I had both. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, because we're... What's different? Yeah. Why is this still happening? Because
2: we're several years into body cameras all over police officers. We're several years into the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. And in weeks like these, it's easy to say, well, has anything changed? Right.
1: Well... We, there are more cameras now, right? Yeah. So the Sacramento shooting, for example, Stefan Clark, uh, we see that because it was captured on body camera. And the reason the Sacramento police have body cameras is because they bought body cameras after another bad shooting mm. of Joseph Mann in 2016 of another kind of, um, he believe he was armed with a knife, a young black man in the midst of a mental health crisis. And so one of the things that's changing is we're starting to see more of what's going on. But in terms of people being killed, uh, what we know is that You know, police shootings are happening just as often today as they were two or three years ago
3: right really yeah really the numbers bear that out like you, I mean, you guys because like- you guys keep a tally at the Washington yeah
1: Post, so we right? so we do this yeah so the Washington Post we do this project where we um where we record police shootings uh, both armed victims unarmed victims white people black people and the pace has been three fatal shootings a day ever since we started recording um mm. and so that was in January 2015 and so we're on that pace currently for this year where that will end up by the end of the year having about a thousand people shot and killed by police and that's going to be the same as 2015 and the same as 2016 and the same as 2017. And in fact, last month was the deadliest month for police shootings since we started recording. And so um, just because perhaps it's not in the headlines as much doesn't mean these shootings are still happening.
2: Does uh, increased video footage mean ever that there's more police officers being charged for this stuff, or is that changing?
3: I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? As I think you, you hear police departments say, we're getting more body cams, we're getting more body cams, as if that's a way to solve the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what we see is, like, Wesley, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, we are seeing a few, just a few more mm-hmm. officers actually getting charged in these instances. But then the thing is, is once they get to court... They're not necessarily getting convicted.
2: And Wesley, you were telling me before this talk today, every video of every shooting that we see involving a police officer, it is basically technically legal, right?
1: Yeah, almost all of them, right? The huh. way the law, the way the law works, right? So, from jump, like police are allowed to kill people, right? It's part of their job. They, they give them guns and they are allowed to, if they get scared, kill people. And so it creates a, a difference versus, right, there are many fewer instances in which you or I are allowed to kill someone.
2: And lots of folks could see the logic to that. They have sure. a different job than we do.
1: Yeah. No, fundamentally, there is a difference, right? Police officers have different legal attitude than you or I do walking down the street. Um, that said, the way it works once you get into these courtrooms, and I'm like stat guy on this, like everything Kelly just said was correct, prior to, in a pre- Ferguson world, there would be like six – around five or six police officers a year would be charged in connection to a fatal shooting. And again, Mm -hmm. that's out of about 1,000 shootings a year. In a post-Ferguson world, that number jumps up to 10 or 12 and so almost double the number of officers being charged – But it's still less than one half of one percent of the shootings, prompting a charge. You know, and so yes, in raw number, more officers are being charged. But but it's it's still so so
3: small. It's
1: so statistically insignificant,
2: right? Right. And it underscores that if there's really going to be any significant change on how officers that shoot people are treated, it's going to be a legal change. And there are actually Mm -hmm. two interesting legal tidbits in the news around this issue. One, in California this week, a new law was proposed to change the standard by which police are judged in these kind of incidents. It would change the standard from reasonable force to necessary force. That basically means that in California, should this law go through, officers could only shoot if there were no other alternatives to the use of deadly force. And then secondly, the Supreme Court issued a ruling on officers using their guns. Uh, This was a case in Arizona. An officer shot a woman who was holding a knife outside of her home in Tucson. And the court basically said that because there was no clear precedent that would have alerted this officer that opening fire would have been unconstitutional and would have been excessive, he was okay to do it.
3: I mean, underpinning all of this is the United States Supreme Court, right? It's this case, Graham versus Connor, and it establishes this reasonableness clause. Explain that to folks. That haven't Yeah, and it is this case. Well, and the, the reasonableness clause is is this, right? It's exactly what Wesley was talking about. What gives officers this legal right? To to shoot and and the idea is what would a reasonable officer do in that situation when their life is threatened right you're asking basically you're asking the jury to put themselves in the officer's shoes at that moment and if you're if you're a good defense attorney you can take a, a handful of circumstances and say these are all life threatening things or this officer reasonably thought these were all life threatening things or was just when somebody in pulled feeling out, threatened. yes when somebody yep. pulled out a pipe what year and was guess that what? ruling Huh. Oh, Grant vs. Connor's in the eighties.
2: Okay. And that's been the standard since. Yep. So when you see things pop up like this new California proposal.
3: Right. I wonder about that one. I wonder if it'll be challenged on Supreme Court grounds because yeah. you know it's it's challenging the very one. It has to pass, right? Yeah.
2: And two, it seems as if legal jurisprudence has been shift, has been in one direction for the last few decades. It is what it is. Yeah. What's the yeah, possibility it, of change, Wesley? On that? Yeah, no, it would.
1: It would. I think you're right. It would totally. It would change the direction. The like you, were, as you were saying, the legal standards have moved to be more permissive towards police officers consistently, yeah. over and over and over again in recent decades. This would be one of the first. steps steps towards a state legislature, a state government walking that back. Mm-hmm. I do think it would result in some of these cases that the public sees um, as terrible shootings that we watch on video um, resulting in some type of legal ramification or just or justice for those families. You know, what's interesting in policing is they use this phrase lawful but awful, right? Because the police mm-hmm. also understand that the vast majority of police shootings are unquestionably legal. But some of these shootings, when you watch them on video, a Tamir Rice or a John Crawford or an Alton Stern they would call that a lawful but awful shooting. Well, mm-hmm. Where sure, when you watch this, this is awful, but that cop shouldn't go to prison. Yeah, and so changing that standard from the reasonableness standard to the necessary standard, right, that would open a door to mean that many of these shootings might, in fact, no the awful be legal. and
2: not lawful. Right. Correct. So we discuss um, like the legal standard for these shootings. It's been pretty much the same for a long time. The rates of these shootings have been pretty much the same for a long time. But what I have felt that has changed in the last year or so is that these shootings are less top of mind Hmm. in the daily news cycle. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Wesley, like you write about this. Is it harder for you to get your stories on these topics on like the a one?
1: Yeah, I mean a little bit. Now, I'm fortunate. Huh. Like the post cares a lot about this being kind of part of our brand and an yeah. a- area, an area that we are kind of leading at coverage, and so that helps. But there certainly is. There's so much competition every day, and there's a competition not just for placement of the stories, but also mm-hmm. for the resources of the stories. I remember even just a few years ago, I would constantly, even as the beat reporter on this, I might get elbowed out of the way by like some of the big shots around the room. Well, well, everyone's talking about policing, so I want to do a body camera story. Oh, or everyone's uh-huh. talking about policing, so I want to drop in and. Do do. those people are so busy with Trump stuff now oh. that I'm like hey could someone else come do this story so I can go do like, <laughs> remember, remember, this, please, remember yeah. when you guys used to really want to write about this like come on over here I got some stuff All and right. so it's interesting and so and so there's fewer resource there are fewer you know a year or two ago you would have had political reporters jumping into these conversations you would have had your feature writers doing big mm-hmm. pieces right right now it's just the beat reporters because everything else is being sucked by Trump and, and I think another thing is that um, you know, I think a big component here as well is that the political press court amplified this conversation under Obama because it fit into this big narrative of how is the first black president going to handle things that have to do with race and uh, black people right and so yeah. when Trayvon Martin happens or Michael Brown happens or Freddie Gray happens it's what's Obama going to do what's Obama going to say uh-huh, uh-huh. he's the black no one is like how's Trump going to handle this issue I because mean, like, you
3: think you know the answer to the question
1: and a lot of people don't even want him to weigh in it's like no please don't even ask him about this Like, yeah. right this right cannot, right
3: right. yeah it can't yeah. help
2: so so So, Wes, looking forward, what should we expect on this front? What kind of stories will we be reading? What kind of change might be down the road?
1: Well, I think that if people continue to go back out into the streets the way they have been, at least in New York and in Sacramento, it's going to necessitate some additional reporting um, about – one, the fact that this is still an issue that is still here. Two, uh, these questions of potentially changing the law and changing the standards, I think that prompts a lot of kind of legal uh, questions that, that we should ask. And so, We
2: shouldn't expect like a big shift in like the legal standard for this stuff though.
1: I I wouldn't. Not eminently. Certainly not. You know, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in California with this proposal Mm -hmm. and if it were to pass in California, if there might be some other states willing to debate it. But I think we're still very much at the, the early stage of any real conversation about a shifting legal standard. And in the meantime, the standard is what it is.
2: On that note, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to play a game called Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR.
4: Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Wix.com, a web platform for creating your own professional website. With Wix, whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro, you can do it yourself. Choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch. With the drag-and-drop technology and powerful web features, Join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to WIX.com to create yours today. So what will you create? Support also comes from Sony Pictures, with all the money in the world. Legendary director Ridley Scott brings this thrilling drama inspired by true events to life. The film follows the kidnapping of 16-year-old John Paul Getty III. Christopher Plummer stepped into the role of John Paul Getty, earning him an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor, starring Michelle Williams, Christopher Plummer, and Mark Wahlberg. Bring Home All the Money in the World, now on digital and on Blu-ray April 10th.
1: NPR's Code Switch tackles race and identity in America with humanity and humor. You'll laugh, you'll learn, you'll get uncomfortable. It's worth it. Find Code Switch on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Kelly McEvers, host of NPR's Embedded podcast, and Wesley Lowry, national correspondent for The Washington Post. You guys... It is time for my favorite game. Uh-oh. It's called Who, said that?
3: who <laughs> said that?
2: Never gets old. It's always the best. I love this game. The game is so simple, I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that, or at least get close. Guess the story, get a topic, get a keyword. Uh huh. This ain't Jeopardy. I'm easy. Uh, of course, as you probably know by now, the winner gets absolutely nothing. Okay. Ready? First quote. One tried to re-enter the room to grab another piece of pepperoni, and in my agitated state, I took off one of my shoes
3: and threw it at him. Is it the seagull thing? It is the seagull oh my thing. That's so weird. Do you know about this, Wes? No. What was this? <laughs> Isn't this like the story? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things Seagulls
2: overtook this guy's hotel room, resulting in him being banned from the hotel for 17 years. <laughs> because
3: he had a bag full of pepperoni <laughs> sitting on the windowsill. <laughs> I can tell you. Sorry. Yeah,
2: okay. No, no, it's good. This is all right. So Nick Burchell, a Canadian, uh, he was in a hotel room 17 years ago, And uh, he was staying at the Fairmont Empress Hotel in Victoria for a business thing. And he had purchased literally a suitcase full of pepperoni because he wanted to deliver it to his friends who were in the Navy. He gets the pepperoni suitcase to the hotel room. There's no fridge. He wanted to stay cool. So he left the pepperonis in front of an open window. While he was gone, about 40 seagulls came up in there and got all up in the pepperoni. They devoured the pepperoni, messed up the hotel room, um, and he was banned from the hotel. He just – and and so for 17 years, he couldn't go there. But he wrote a letter to the hotel this year saying, quote, I have matured and I admit responsibility for my actions. I come to you hat in hand to apologize for the damage I had indirectly come to cause (laughs) and to ask you to reconsider my lifetime ban from the property. They read it. They were like, cool. He is no longer banned.
3: (laughs) Wesley's like, what? He's like, I do not have thoughts.
1: (laughs) Sometimes you hear a story and you're like, I want to read 10,000 words on this. And this is precise. I want to know everything about this man. I want to track these seagulls down, (laughs) (laughs) talk to them. (laughs) I want
2: like a six episode podcast on this. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. So, uh, Kelly, you're up one. Wesley, you got to bring it. All right. Next quote. You ready? You could just hear the water running through. You couldn't see anything. Who said that? Wait,
3: that's it. Oh man.
2: Yeah. Uh, it involves sewage. It's a big story this week.
3: Sewage? Yeah, not on Dodger feet, not at the not at Dodger Stadium. The sewage that came out on Dodger Stadium. No,
2: no, no but it was in LA. Oh another story about sewage pipes. Had... Ew. Somebody was it the kid him. who
1: fell in
3: the oh, sewage the pipe? Oh, yes. kid, yes. There we go.
2: <laughs> there you go. It's tied one to one. So there was, a, there was an L.A. kid, Jesse Hernandez, 13 years old. He fell through a wooden plank in Griffith Park in Los Angeles and got stuck in L.A. sewage pipes for some 13 hours. And the authorities only found him because they ran, like, some cameras in the pipes. Yeah, it was amazing. Underground. Um, so th- the boy had floated, I guess, like some two-thirds of a mile underground. The sewage water was moving at like 15 miles an hour, but he survived. And there wasn't even like a Pennywise. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even get snatched in there. He just fell in. His luck. Alright, it's tied. Last quote is, the longest french fry isn't necessarily the best french fry. Who said that?
3: Who makes french fries? McDonald's. Yes. (laughs)
2: McDonald's Japan tweeted out a picture of their french fries along with apparently a message about body positivity this week. Here's the quote from the tweet Um, translated. Short french fries, curved french fries, crispy french fries, and soft french fries. All of them have good points. All of them have people who love them
3: oh no. no that's beautiful no. y'all don't <laughs> like that Take it wait back. i like it take it back oh, they no. go on
2: to say as long as you value your own unique flavor we believe you'll be able to contribute in your own way how
1: is no one else feeling feels over this
3: uh, no feels uh, <laughs> wesley
1: this is a sweet message <laughs> i do i, I do uh, someone out there needed to hear that and, and i'm glad they got this uh
2: the game is over. Kelly, you're the winning french fry. No,
3: because you gave me the biggest hint. I did. It's okay. The winning french fry. What kind of fry. french fry are you? I'm not saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wesley, what kind of french fry uh, oh, are you? Oh, no.
3: I, Wesley Lowry declines to comment um, <laughs> on what type
1: of french fry he is.
2: Wow. I'm a french fry who's just happy to be here. <laughs> all right, now it's time to end the show. As we always do, every week we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that happen to them all week. We encourage folks to brag, they always do. Let's take a listen. Hit that tape. Hi, Sam. Hi. So, um, oh my God. the best part of what I did this week oh was I wanted to ride my bike, and, and I could do it for 16 minutes 24 seconds. It there a millisecond. Oh my goodness.
4: <laughs> no. Yes. This is the
2: best day of my life. I love what?
0: it. Hi Sam, it's Katie from Baltimore. Hey. This week I got my first ever um, scientific paper published in a marine biology journal. Go
4: Katie! I got to celebrate my boyfriend Nish's birthday. I was the star of two shows on the Las Vegas Strip.
2: Congratulations!
1: My name is Harper and I'm 13 and from Minneapolis. Hey Harper! The best part of my week was flying by myself to New York City (sighs) to visit my aunt and uncle. All of it was amazing, but I think the food really takes the cake. My favorite thing.
4: Oh, yeah. Hey, Sam, it's Jeremy <laughs> in Boston. Hey, Jeremy. The best thing that's happened to me these past few weeks is getting my partner, Austin, finally on board with RuPaul's Drag Race yes. <laughs> season 10. Tens, tens, tens across the board. Yes. And so I think, uh, I think we're going to be okay. Oh, <laughs> that's a good a relationship.
3: wise move.
0: Wise move. Hi, Sam. This is Diana in Annapolis, Maryland. I am an Episcopal priest. And the best thing that happened to me this week was preaching three sermons that I'm really proud of for our Good Friday and Easter services, and then taking off Monday through Friday of the week after Easter (laughs) with my wife, who is also an Episcopal priest, and getting to have a genuine staycation.
3: Nice. Hi, Sam. This is Alex from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And the best thing that happened to me this week is I got to take my younger sister to see Disney's Frozen on Broadway. Mm. Things have been hard for her at home recently because she's been watching my dad go through chemotherapy. Oh, I'm so sorry. To and that. to give her that one night of happiness where she got to see a show she loved meant the world to me. Oh,
2: man. Uh, thanks.
0: Thanks, Sam. Thanks for the show.
3: Have a good week. Bye. Bye.
2: Shout out to Isaac. I didn't learn how to ride a bike without training wheels, so that was damn near eleven years old.
3: Let alone clock it with <laughs> such precision. Yeah.
1: yeah, he knew the milliseconds. He, he broke an really hour.
3: and like express himself in a way that, like, yes, suggests future leader. It was beautiful. Yes, all
1: of them were beautiful. Thanks
2: to all those voices you heard there: Isaac, Katie, Mega, Enoch, Harper, Jeremy, Dana, Alex. Um, I didn't even know Frozen was on Broadway, but it sounds great. Uh, We listen to all of these that come in. Wish we had time to play all of them, but keep sending them. Also, send me photos of your pets, dogs and cats, ferrets too. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for sharing everything at any time throughout any week. Just email us, samsanders at npr.org, samsanders at npr.org. And a final thank you to two of the best parts of my week, Wesley Lowry and Kelly McEvers. Aww. Thanks to James Brown for being James Brown. Yeah. We're going to go out on this wonderful, beautiful, funky song. Uh, this week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. The show was edited today by Allison McAdam. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. We had editing help this week from Allison McAdam and Jeff Rogers. And our big boss who signs the check is our VP of program here at NPR, Anya Grundman. Refresh your feet Tuesday morning, my friends, for a conversation with Chrissy Metz, one of the stars of my favorite show to cry to, NBC's This Is Us. Um, Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.